You are now tuned in to the Addicted to Success.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on Addicted to Success.com. Now, before we get into this episode, I just want to let you know that I've just launched a course called Millions Online because I get an overwhelming amount of people asking me each and every day, Joel, how do you get to live this freedom lifestyle? Uh, how do you get to interview some of the most influential people in your industry? Uh, how do you drive millions in traffic? And how do you have millions of followers? And so I have created this course around how I did it, and also the tools that I've used to really build this business into a multi-million dollar online brand and company. So because you are an A2S podcast listener right now, I'm giving you a 62% discount if you jump in today and take the action and get onto this course. It's just a quick course that you could knock out and it's super high value and is my gift to you to really get it at this discounted rate. So head over to mindstrongalliance.com slash millions dash online and get into the millions online course today. All right, now let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm here today with my good friend, Vishen Lakiani, who is a powerhouse in the personal growth arena. Uh, he's also the founder of one of the top personal development uh, companies in the world. And, you know, Vishen, uh, if I could really sum you up in a few words, man, I'd say a freaking rule breaker, a game changer, and a human enhancer. <laughs> because I remember like sitting in the uh, Mind Valley headquarters, I remember that it was like three years ago, uh, you invited me to speak on your stage at the Mind Valley headquarters. And I just remember like hearing you talk about the future and your vision for Mind Valley and just how you want to uh, inspire others and change the education system. And I got to say, you're just incredibly inspiring. So uh, thank you for joining us on this, uh, this uh, podcast. And also, I'm excited about your new book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Uh, I, I can't wait to, to read it. So uh, thank you, man. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Joel. I've been following your success and and the the way the blog and the podcast has just exploded. I mean, getting incredible guests like Tony Robbins. Congratulations to you too, and I'm honored to be here. Thank you, brother. Thank you. So, Vision, let's talk about this book. Uh, in the book, you talk a lot about uh, shattering uh, old systems and getting rid of the rules, which is the you know the bullshit rules, right? And uh, how to remove those limiting beliefs that are programmed in our mind at such a young age. So why do people follow rules that no longer serve them? Really good question. So, so first, let me just give an overall idea of the book so people understand what the book is about. It's called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Okay. And the book is really, is really a meta-analysis of what makes certain people who they are? Why is it that we are cut from the same cloth as the Elon Musk and the Richard Bransons of the world? How do, but why is it that so many people stay at this mediocre level while others rise to these incredible levels of holistic success? Now, what I did in the book is, through my connections, through Mind Valley, which is a 200-person personal growth company, I've been running it for 10 years now, I had access to so many amazing people, from, from billionaires to monks to people like Richard Branson, and I got to ask them the right questions. 
And because I'm a trained computer engineer, computer engineers tend to be very good at recognizing patterns. It's, it's part of our job, right? I started trying to layer the patterns over the last decade of what made these visionaries, these mavericks, who they are. And the result was 10 laws, 10 sequential laws, which are nothing more than ideas that you can incorporate in your head, right? 10 sequential laws. And this law is what I call the code of the extraordinary mind. Now, I know what you may be thinking, that we're going to talk about laws such as write down goals or um, um, have a vision. No, those are too simplistic. I go a lot deeper. And your question actually brings up one of the first laws. Why is it that some people follow rules and some people don't? Well, to understand that, you got to go back to evolutionary biology. See, human beings, which we evolved as a species, we evolved in a way where we had to collaborate to survive. So that was one thing, right? So human beings had to collaborate to survive. We are a group organism in, in many ways. Now, to be able to collaborate to survive, we had to create rules around how society functions. So that was one thing. But the second thing in our evolution is the, the emergence of language. You see, unlike any other animal, human beings exist in two worlds. One is the physical world. I know this is an iPhone and it's black and it's hard and this is made of glass. That's absolute truth. We cannot argue with that. But we also, through our facility of language, begin as a species creating an alternate world. The world of religion, of mythology, of cultures, of ideas. And we've been living in two worlds ever since. Now, the world of language is a world of, of rituals, practices, mythologies, ideas, beliefs that surround us from the time we are kids and we are swimming in this world all the time. Let me give you an example of what this world is like. When you talk about happiness, you cannot see happiness, you cannot touch happiness, but we all have an idea of what that is. You can, and it's the same for words such as calorie or meditation. You cannot touch meditation. You cannot see God or understand what a calorie is. It is nothing more than a language construct in our heads that they become real to us. So what we create in our heads become real in the world. Now, the important thing is this. A fish is the last to realize that swimming in a substance called water. And we are last to realize that we are swimming and functioning in this world of human rules, some of which go back 2,000 years into the past. We blindly follow. Because of our need to be a group species, we tend to function within the rules of the group, even if these rules make absolutely no sense. This is why it's easy for a leader to mobilize a million men to march into a dumb war. This is why people blindly follow fundamentalist religion. This is why so many people grow up with these repetitive patterns in their head that success means get good grades, go to college, get a job, work the nine to five, retire, and then you can travel and see the world. Certainly, that was my idea of success when I was a kid, right? But every now and then, they emerge, groups of people who start questioning the rules. They start wondering, why is it so? These are the people who, when your kids, your parents tell you, will you stop asking so many questions? <laughs> but these people, as they continue asking these questions, they get labeled mavericks, rebels, troublemakers, but eventually, a few of them, some of them will stay rebels or troublemakers. Some of them will get crushed down and told to just bend and follow the rules. But others will actually do something with their questioning, with the illogic that they see. And these are the people who go from being a rebel, a troublemaker, uh, 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 someone who's questioning to someone who's actually a visionary. And that's when they start creating new rules about how the world should operate and what the world should be. 
So in the book, we introduce these ideas. One of the first ideas is the idea of the culturescape. The culturescape is that tangled web of beliefs and ideas that we live in from our religion to our notions of success, to even ideas such as marriage, such as healthy eating, such as what is exercise, such as what is happiness, what is passion, what is meaning. All of these are not absolute truth. They are relative truth because different cultures perceive them completely differently. And when you understand that, you realize that what you've been grown up to what you've been grown up to believe is not necessarily true. And you can question that. And this is when people start questioning their spirituality, questioning their relationships, questioning their careers, their ideas, the companies that they've started, their motivations, their goals. And this book is about questioning. You know, so I tell people, this is not a personal growth book. It's a personal disruption book because it's going to get you to question and disrupt pretty much every area of your life, from your relationships to your business. You might decide you want to leave your religion or start a new religion. You might decide you might want to leave your company. You might decide to rip up your goal sheet. You might decide to break up in that relationship you're in. You might decide that you've just gone down the wrong path in life because you've been following what your parents set in you as expectations of success. That's what this book is about. Now, the first part is really about that. It's about the power of questioning. But as you start questioning, you emerge into different levels of awareness. And so the book is divided into 10 laws and four parts. First part is about understanding the world and how it shapes us. The second part is understanding how to hack that world. There we bring in a learning methodology called consciousness engineering that allows you to create your own series of rules around the world and rapidly work within these new rules. Consciousness engineering makes you a super learner. It makes you absorb every other book you read far more powerfully. Then you go into the third part of the book, which is about going into the next level of awakening, where you realize that you are more than just flesh and bone human being. And this is where we really bring up the power of the human mind. And the final part, the final part is really mastery. That's when we talk about being in the state of being unfuckwithable, which <laughs> means that no says or no judgment or criticism can shake you from that quest that you are now on to reshape and remake the world based on the new rules you want to produce in your, in your head and spread to others. So the book is about understanding the world we live in and how suffocating it can be sometimes, learning to create your own defense mechanism around the world and create your own world within the broader culturescape of the world. Third, you learn to go within and channel power to help you get there faster. And you try and you understand what makes Branson or Elon Musk who they are. And the fourth, the fourth is basically a kick in the butt to go out there, take these new ideas and models in your head, do something with it, and actually change the world. So that's what the Code of the Extraordinary Mind talks about. Wow. Wow. Such an incredible breakdown. And, you know, I, I want to ask you, why? Why is it important? Why is it important to create our own rules? And also, how can you know if a rule exists to protect you or if it is holding you back from your, your potential? Very good question. So, you know, one of the funny things about the way the human mind works is, what, is, is that what language can delineate, we can see. Mm. So there was this interesting uh, discussion recently among scientists on do, did ancient cultures perceive the color blue? Right, So they look back at ancient literature from China, from Greece, even in, in the Iliad, that ancient Greek text, Homer didn't describe 
the ocean as blue. He described it as the wine dark sea. So these scientists were trying to understand, can we see something if we don't have a name for it? And one of them went to this tribe in Namibia called the Himba tribe. And this tribe in Namibia is really interesting. They have 19 words for the color green, but not a single word for the color blue. And so the scientists showed this tribe different palettes of green, and the tribe could clearly see colors of green that we with our eyes could not perceive. But then they would show the tribe a blue, a clearly blue square and a green square. And the tribe people couldn't tell the difference. You see, without the word blue, these tribe people could not see the color blue. Now, interestingly enough, when you start assigning words to things that you want people to see, they start seeing it. So in the book, we coin two words that help you identify the, 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 the rules to break, right? The first is the culture scape. The culturescape is that tangled web of rituals, beliefs, practices, habits that we soak in from the world. It defines our religions. It defines our mythology. It defines our beliefs about work, love, sex, everything. So when you understand that everything around you is the result of the culturescape, you get to see how much indoctrination goes in here. But the second word is interesting, and that's the word that's really caught on to the point where people are now printing T-shirts with it. And that second word is brule, B-R-U-L-E. A rule is a bullshit rule that we adopt to simplify our understanding of the world. So the question then is, what is a rule? So I found, right, like at least in my company and in um, many of the, 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 the people that I work with, once people have the word rule, they start using it. They immediately see that rules can fall into two different buckets. And so, you know, people love this word. Just having this word rule gives you the power to decide that anything you're Choosing to follow can be a rule or can be pure bullshit. Now, how do you really now? But there are there is also a framework to tell if something is a rule, and that framework is to ask yourself these five questions. Number one, am I following this because of um, cultural indoctrination? In other words, did this come from my parents, my teachers, my fathers, my preachers, and is this what my grandparents believe? You know, like fifty years ago, when you talk about certain rules around the world today, like a marriage should only be between a man or a woman, or that a woman needs a man, or that you should have children, or that you should get a job. Perhaps those are rules. Just because your grandparents followed them doesn't mean you should. The second is to pay close attention to what our leaders say. Leaders often get to their position because they have, you know, they, they know how to create, how to tap into that latent tendency in human beings to blindly follow various cognitive biases that make us overwhelmingly afraid of improbable things such as, say, terrorism. And you want to pay note to what your leaders are telling you. So when you understand that not everything a leader says is true, and often it's politics or manipulation, you start to remove another big source of rules. Now, third is the media. The media, television, advertising, massive source of rules because they tap into another human tendency which is our desire to follow social proof. When we see everyone else doing it, every woman must look that way, every man must have a six-pack app, we decide, well, we gotta do it too. And these get really absurd. I mean, we've created a world where a company can, cre can create a billion dollars in revenue, convincing people that happiness comes in a red can consisting of high fructose corn syrup. Huh. <laughs> That's three, right? Now, fourth is, is, is basically um, what we get from our own meaning-making machine. A meaning-making machine is that 
that um, thing in our head that defines meaning around the world, particularly when we are vulnerable, when we are children, or even as we are adults and going through a moment of vulnerability. You know, you go on a date with someone and she doesn't call you back. And rather than just assume, maybe, you know, maybe it was a um, normal thing. Maybe she lost her phone. Maybe, you know, she just wasn't interested. Instead, you create meaning. You know, maybe, maybe I don't look good enough. Maybe I'm not funny. Maybe I'm just not smart enough for her. Maybe I'm just not good enough to be with a girl of her type. And you create all of these rules around yourself. Now, the final, the final one is childhood indoctrination. These, these are the rules that we take on as kids, as we are indoctrinated. So, you know, I meet people who believe in the literal translation of their religious book. And I ask them, how can you possibly believe this? And they say, because it's written by God. And these people are my friends, so we can have a, a good conversation about it. I'm like, but it's absolute nonsense. It was d true 2,000 years ago. Surely you cannot believe it now. But they, it, they cannot budge. And that is childhood indoctrination. It also comes, it's, you know, Yuval Hariri, the famous historian who wrote one of the greatest books of 2015, Sapiens, said, the unique thing about human beings is that we, human beings, evolutionary, started walking erect earlier than many other mammals. And at the same time, our brain started getting bigger. So we hit this particular part in our evolutionary uh, uh, life where human mothers had to give birth to babies with bigger heads than normal. And so... It was hard walking erect, giving birth to these babies with giant heads. And so all human beings are born premature. All our babies are born before they are fully developed. This is why a baby kitten or a baby gazelle can stand up and run and even hunt. But a human baby is helpless because we are born premature. This is why in the book Sapiens, Hariri says, unlike other animals who are born fully whole, any attempt to mold them or shape them is like scratching earthenware. It only leaves a scratch on the surface. Human babies are born like molten glass. You can mold them. You can bend them. You can shape them. This is why you can raise someone to be socialist or capitalist, yeah. Buddhist or Christian, peace lover or war maker. Yeah. And that's true about human beings. So when you understand these patterns, you try start to see how much we are shaped by the world around us. Yeah, it makes, it's, makes so much sense. I mean, we have no reference points, so we have to create new reference points. And when we're so young, we don't know right from wrong. We're just learning from our peers, right? From our, from our authority figures, like our parents and our teachers and our mentors and so on. So it's, it's an interesting conversation. So right. the Addicted to Success audience loves practical steps. They love tangible things that they can, they can apply straight away. So what are some practical things that they can start implementing in their life now to get rid of the rules in their life? Well, the first thing, the first thing is to understand that. So there are two ways you grow, right? So addicted to success audience members and anyone studying personal growth, you got to understand you can grow through two ways. You can grow through a shift in your belief or you can grow through a system assigned to you. Now, part two of the book talks about this model. We call it consciousness engineering. How do you accelerate your growth, right? And we say, great, you can accelerate your growth by understanding that all of us have models of realities about the world. And when you shift these models of reality, you grow. The second is systems. Systems are things that maybe you guys are more familiar with. The way we diet, the way we exercise, the way we eat, the way we make love, the way we parent a child. These are systems. So you wanna, um, I wanna give you something that you can take away. The first thing is 
consciousness engineering, once you understand this model, you start to accelerate your personal growth because everything you read, for example, I'm reading this biography right now by Richard Branson, right? As you go through this biography, you start to understand what to take away. You start to look for Richard Branson's models of reality and then to understand, can I take on this model? So the first principle is this. Every model of reality in our head is there true absorption, not, but it's not necessarily true. Your beliefs do not make you you. You can swap out a bad belief, swap in a good belief, but when you shift the belief, growth happens. Now, the second thing you want to understand is that systems of how we work, how we live, how we check email, how we commute to work, are in need of constant refresh and upgrading. Most people don't. And so most people end up doing the same gym routine or eating in the same way. But one of the things I talk about in the book is how to refresh your systems. We talk about models called refresh rates and system upgrades, right? So understanding these two, let me give you a tip. And that tip is one of the most powerful ideas in part two of the book. And that idea is called set points. So a lot of people set goals, and that's wonderful. Set goals by all means. But what we often fail to realize is that you don't just have to set goals for targets you want to hit. You have to set goals for self-preservation. So many people will set a goal to, you know, at a certain age, have a certain amount of money. But they find that as they start growing older, their bodies start withering away. They start losing muscle strength. They start losing brain capacity. Now, that's ridiculous. Hmm. What if we set goals for self-preservation as well? What if we set goals for our health so that we can always stay? this young and this fit? What if we set goals for our relationships so we are always having the same amount of sex with our partners as we currently are? What if we set goals for our mind so that we are always able to function in the same way? So I develop a model called set points and it's really simple. I've actually get fitter and my body's actually in better shape now in my 40s than I was in my 30s. And the answer is this process called set points. So let me give you an example, okay? So there are many ways you can get set points. What I look at is push-ups. My set point is 55 push-ups. If I can get off a plane, come straight home, uh, take a good night's rest, get up the next day, and even though I'm tired, I need to be able to get down and do 55 push-ups. And if I can't, that is called a set point failure. Now, a set point failure means that what, you, what I got to do is immediately enact a set point correction procedure. So if I, can ever, if, I, if I ever reach a state where I cannot do my 55 push-ups, what I do is I immediately go into a low-carb diet, I increase my gym schedule, and within a week, I'm back to 55, right? And doing this means that every year, even though I'm getting older, I'm actually getting healthier and fitter because two years ago, my set point was 50. Now it's 55. Two years from now, it will be 60, and I do not let it slip. I also create set points with my belt. This is my belt buckle. So I'm only allowed to use a certain buckle. If I ever have to make my belt wider, that's a set point failure. So immediately I go into a correction procedure. So yeah. doing this, I've been able to keep myself fit, keep myself emotionally trained, keep myself um, in better health, in better levels of performance in my 40s than I was 10 years ago. And when you start doing this, you actually start to get into a state where things like aging end up becoming a rule. So let's go back to what we spoke about earlier. Who says we need to age? 
aging? What if it was perhaps all in the mind, right? So by combining a lot of these ideas together, you're actually putting yourself into superhuman ways of functioning. So let's talk about aging as a rule. Yeah, we spoke about earlier, we spoke about models of reality. We spoke about how your beliefs can shape your world. Now, there was a study done with hotel mates. And so these scientists wanted to find out why is it that hotel mates do so much exercise, yet they often tend to be overweight and unfit. So they created this fake mock study. They brought these maids down and they would ask these maids how many flights of stairs they were climbing up, how many mattresses they were flipping over. And then at the end of the study, the researchers would make one comment, just one little comment. And the comment was, wow, Matilda, based on all of the stuff you're telling me, you are getting actually more than the CDC Center for Disease Control's daily recommended exercise. You must be really fit. Huh. Now they came back 30 days later and they found that all of these hotel mates had actually become fitter. You can measure that. Their cholesterol count had gone down. Their weight had dropped, yet they had not changed any of their patterns. So a simple belief was implanted in their head that their work was good exercise and that they were meeting the CDT's requirements. So think about that for a moment, right? Think about, so when I say we want to question the rules of the culturescape, I'm not just talking about things such as question the dogma of your religion. I'm talking about question ideas about what it means to be human. Question the idea of aging. Question the idea that making money is hard. Question fundamental ideas that we think is true about our human bodies. Because as the more you go into it, the more you start to realize that pretty much everything about reality is malleable, is within your control. And with the right thought process, the right mindset, you actually get to put yourself in these states where you get to bend reality. Wow. Wow. You know, it's funny. You, you look back at the past, right? What has happened over time with innovation and change in the world? It's like people were asking questions and that's why they were making a change. But it's like, how can we ask more questions? How can we get there faster? How can we accelerate the innovative process? So knowing all this and, and going deep with your book and your study and your research, and I know you've interviewed hundreds of successful people. I think it's like, what, 200 hours of interviews right. so far, which is insane. Um, what would you say would be the biggest piece of advice for entrepreneurs? Because we have a, a lot of entrepreneurs that tune into this radio show. So what would your advice be there for them? Okay. So my advice to many entrepreneurs is that when you go into the book, you will find something really interesting about what I talk about. I call entrepreneurship a rule. And I know you don't want to hear that because everybody glorifies entrepreneurs. The fact is entrepreneurs is a bullshit term and most entrepreneurs are miserable. Most entrepreneurs are, you know, facing anxiety, are stressed out. And you may not see this because we hear about the ones who are, who are thriving. But if I look around right here in my city and I look at my family members who are entrepreneurs, it's not always easy. But the reason is because we have taken something as complex as entrepreneurship and defined it into one term, one terminology. So what I do in the book is I teach a different method called means goals versus end goals, a method to help you design your life where words such as employee or entrepreneur dissolve. They become meaningless. What ends up being what truly matters is the, the vision for your life that you have inside you, right? And this is the difference between end goals and means goals. See, you ask people, why do I want to be an entrepreneur? Many people are like, so I'll have freedom, so I can, I can, I can employ people and have a team, so I can have leader. But that's not the point. 
The thing is, most of us live our lives based on what I call means goals, and entrepreneurship is a means goals. Mm -hmm. So we teach an exercise to go deeper to understand the end goal. The end goal is what comes after the so. I want that job so. I want to start that company so. Yeah. And as you go really deep into the so, you find that all of these end goals fall into three buckets, experiences, growth, and contribution. Huh. Okay? And, 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 and then we show you how to craft your life along these terms. And when you craft your life along these terms, the word entrepreneur dissolves. It no longer matters. You've gone a step beyond the culture-scape notion of entrepreneur, and you start creating your own vision for what that life could be. And it could be working in a company that fulfills your mission. It could be being a part of Google. It could be starting your own company or being a freelancer, but it may not be entrepreneur. Entrepreneur is a bullshit term and a meme scolds. Yeah. Yeah. No more labels, right? You know, it's right. interesting. Uh, I love hearing that. I love hearing people say, oh, yeah, you must have so much fun, so much freedom. I always look at like fun is my reward after I go through the things that I hate to do. Like just right. pushing against the grain, right? It's I, like I told you just before we got onto this recording of this uh, interview, I said like I'm living in the uncomfortable zone as often as possible. It's like putting yourself on the line every day. And um, yeah. Everyone sees the uh, the glory, they don't see the story. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Vision, what is your, your vision for the ideal education system? How would it look to you? Well, I'm already working on it. So, earlier we talked about the three most important questions, right? Yeah. And uh, those questions are extremely powerful when applied to children. So, already several schools are um, applying this. Um, we, I, I love seeing the pictures and the videos being sent to me from schools in India, in Mexico, in the United States, in Zimbabwe, where kids are going through this exercise that I designed, the three most important questions. And one of the things that we did with the book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, is that we, pro we produce, so by the way, this is not just a book. The whole book is about questioning the world. And so I question the idea of what a book is. And what, as a result, this is the most technologically hooked up book, perhaps, in publishing history. The book comes with apps, with whole immersive experiences. The book even comes with a way for all the readers of the book to connect with each other and to me. And one of the things the book comes, comes with is a, a training program for teachers to take these ideas and bring it into their schools. It's a beautiful app with videos filmed in documentary quality. It's called Extraordinary by Design. And anybody who buys this, and again, it, uh, we, we, we were inspired by the teachers who were bringing it to schools, but honestly, it matters to every adult. The American Management Association has tweeted this to all their members. So Extraordinary by Design is a course on designing and crafting the perfect life, and it's completely free with this book. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, Rodale must have wet their pants, man, when <laughs> they realized what you were bringing to the table. <laughs> you well, no, actually, cool actually, no, I don't think Rodale wet their pants. I think probably the publishers who turned me down did. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. So, Vision, uh, what do you believe the, the world would look like if everybody challenged the status quo, if they started to think more independently? Well, one of the biggest things that would happen in the world, I believe, if people started doing this, would be that we'd be a lot more connected. I think naturally, as human beings, we're getting to a point in us, in our, in our evolution as a species, where we are becoming more connected than ever. And I do not mean the internet. 
I'm talking about more connected as souls, as individuals. You look at the millennial generation, and they're the most caring generation that has ever emerged. And you're a millennial, at least you look like one, you're young enough. They, they tend to care more about the planet. They tend to vote in, um, for, for, for policies which are more sustainable. They tend to believe in equal rights for people of all sexual orientations or colors and so on. And I believe this, this connected world is where we are, we are going to. Yeah. Yeah, I believe and, that. And, and the thing is, and, and the thing is, so, you know, the rules, the things that keep us separated, many of those are rules. They are rules from generations past that still come in. Rules such as the ideas of nationalism or the idea that you need to belong to one religion or the idea that you need to have loyalty to your state, but not the rest of humanity. In the book, I talk about an interesting phenomenon called the Godical Theory. The Godical Theory is the idea that we are all particles of God experiencing a larger creation. And as particles of God, we have a number of different inclinations. One of these inclinations is to collaborate since we are all part of a larger whole. And another inclination is since we are part of a larger whole, like cells in a body, we are here to help all others evolve and succeed. And this is where I believe we are going as a species. The internet is just the first stage. The next stage is going to be a more conscious connection that comes from heart, empathy, and human connectedness. Yeah, I believe that too. You know, uh, my parents uh, grew up in the industrial age, right? And we're in the we're in the information age right now, moving, shifting into the spiritual age. So I hear exactly what you're saying. That's, that's where we're going, and it's exciting. It's exciting to see how we can just evolve and advance as a human race. So Vishen, uh, you're actually in, the, in a movie that I'm in also called Rise Up, uh, which is coming out at the end right. of this year alongside some of your friends and people that you actually have in Mind Valley, like Tony Robbins, Lisa Nichols, Ken Wilbur, uh, Dr. John Gray. I mean, there's a, an amazing lineup. But uh, we talk a lot about uh, impact and collaboration, like we, you just mentioned. What do you believe it takes to leave a dent in the world? It takes many things to leave a dent in the world, but I'm so glad you asked. We have, uh, we're running a New York Times ad for this book right now, and the t- title of the ad is Make a Dent in the Universe. And of course, I borrowed that phrase from Steve Jobs, right? He's one of um, a guy. He's a guy I know. I really look look up to in terms of really healthy models of reality about the world. What it takes to leave a dent is a collection of different things. I've shared a number with you over here. Understanding that we live in a culturescape, being able to see the rules, being able to apply models like consciousness engineering so that we can rapidly hack and grow ourselves. Getting to a state, we haven't even spoken about that yet, but that's part three of the book, of being able to bend reality. And finally, being able to be unfuckwithable and knowing your quest. Now, what I just described is a rough outline of the 10 laws in the book. But this whole book is about making a dent in the universe. I'm not going to answer it simplistically with one answer. What I'm going to say is get the book. <laughs> nice. And how can we get our hands on that book? Oh, just go to Amazon. Just go to Amazon. You can order it on Kindle. It's like it's like 13 bucks on Kindle. There you go. That's a great investment. So, Vision, uh, we're approaching the end of this interview. And I appreciate you jumping on and sharing all your wisdom with us. And um, can't wait to check out the book myself. Now, we always end the interview with this last question. And the question is, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Ha! Wow, (laughs) I wasn't even prepared for that. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Well, my last 30-second speech to the world, I'd say, 
Guys, it has been amazing. I, I honestly feel tremendously grateful that even though I'm 40, I've been able to pull off most of my goals thus far. So glad I got this book out just in time before I kicked the bucket. Um, and I guess, I guess everything you could have possibly wanted to, 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 to tap my brain for or know from me is in this one book. Thank you so much for, I, I thank the world for having, for giving me such a blessed life. And then I would say this, I would say funerals are a bullshit rule. I do not want a funeral. All that money that you are going to pump into my funeral, what I want to do is toss the most incredible beach party in Santorini, Greece. Okay. And we'll cover everything. And all of you friends of mine, fly down to Santorini, party your faces off, dance, celebrate, and do a toast to me, but mostly have fun. Don't worry about shedding that tear.